0: I am joined by Rosie Wilby, author, comedian and podcaster, a host of The Breakup Monologues. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you seem very excited
1: <laughs> to be here. Well, it, no, it's kind of exciting. I mean, because I'll tell you why. Because I, I guess I've had the inverse journey to many of your guests, because I often listen to your show, but I sort of felt like, you know, everybody was talking about divorce and this was something because I haven't ever been able to get married until now. I'm in a relationship where we're engaged and we're going to get married next year. Um, I haven't been able to get divorced either. So it's almost like a weird kind of exclusive club that I could never join, even though, I mean, I don't want my marriage to end. (laughs) I don't want to get divorced. I mean, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it could happen, but it's almost like Yeah, now I can get married, I could get divorced as well. Whereas I felt like in the previous kind of dialogue and conversation that we used to have broadly about breakups and divorces, there's this sort of almost hierarchy of breakups and of heartache where people kind of think, oh, well, if you got divorced, that sort of carries more weight than, you know, if you just had a a breakup. Whereas, of course, because I couldn't get married. My breakups were like divorces or certainly one of them that we're going to talk about. Um, but several of the others too. I mean, I kind of think if I could have got married all along, I'd be like Joan Collins, you know, <laughs> would be onto my fifth wife. So yeah, it's it's almost a strange thing where it is kind of exciting to have that possibility open up of the good side of being able to get married, but also, you know, the sad part of being able to get divorced too. It just means, I suppose, if you can mark a relationship's ending, you kind of acknowledge that it exists as well.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I was talking to a guy recently who's coming out of his first divorce because he was able to get married and his partner is a man. And he said that he it felt lovely that he gets to get divorced now because he's allowed to be married, but he's
1: also allowed to be divorced. I mean, isn't it weird? Can you imagine when you started this podcast and, you know, I mean, I listened to your first ever episode with Sarah Millikan and I guess your real sense you know, in your early episodes was that divorce was just this awful thing that you'd gone through. And now there are people you're talking to who are more celebratory about it. It must seem weird. Well,
0: also, I guess I've been through a bit of a process through each series of the podcast. So I guess I feel more celebratory now as well. And maybe (laughs) that's having an impact on, you know, my guests. (laughs) No, it's funny. I mean, yeah, looking back now, I'm glad I got divorced. So I guess for you, you one day you may get to have this wonderful divorce feeling, or you'll just <laughs> be happily married. So
1: hey, married, be happily married. I mean, it's just a win-win, Sam. It's, Isn't it? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. No, it it is really interesting. And I, I certainly hope that we don't get divorced. But I kind of think I've come to think that breakups, whether, you know, whether we were married or not, or civil civilly partnered or living together, or whatever our situation was. I think we can learn from them and you can grow a lot after, after some kind of trauma and some kind of breakup. So I do think that you know, arguably it is, it is an experience to be celebrated because you'll probably get something from it in terms of your own growth and personal development or creativity or starting a new career or writing a book or all of these kind of things. So I think it can be a good thing ultimately. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned about the hierarchy of
0: divorce as well though, and breakup, because I remember when I was first kind of breaking it to people that I was getting a divorce they'd always say oh do you have kids and I'd say no and they'd be like oh it's fine then like oh it's going to be really easy because you don't have kids and I remember being really annoyed by that and do you think in the past when you've had breakups and you weren't able to call them divorces because at the time you know you couldn't legally marry your partner do you think did that annoy you?
1: Yeah I think so um, because And I think you had essentially kids because you had cats, right? And and you know I've got a dog and two cats in in this relationship, and I think that would be a huge thing. Pet custody, you know, is and would be a a really really huge issue because they are children to many of us. They're part of a they're part of the family because they they really get upset as well. I remember my cat when my last relationship was breaking up. Um, The cat just started sort of pooing and weeing on the sofa and she was really traumatised and she was protesting, basically. Uh, Bless her. But, yeah, even when we have an argument now, the dog is, like, really not into it and is running to each of us to kind of go, oh, it's okay, you know, wagging her tail and with her little ears down when she's upset. So, yeah, I think whatever type of relationship we're in, it's awful when you when you have a breakup. it's a lot of change for everybody around that relationship to acclimatize to whether that's your mutual friends or your families, extended families and, and people that you hang out with and people that are important to you. So I, I think there's a lot that we have to process and, and work with and deal with you know whatever our situation has been in, in the relationship, however formally it's been recognised legally and so on.
0: You're saying one of your pets used to wee and poo because they were stressed yeah. at the breakup. My One of my cats called Queen Victoria, she yeah. used to wee on my ex in bed when we were still together. So I wonder if she's always been on my side and was like, (laughs) you need to
1: get rid. Well, I tell you what, um, when I had cats with my first ever, ever girlfriend, she, on meeting my ex's new partner, the first thing she did was look her straight in the eyes and just do a wee on the carpet. (laughs) Wow. She was like, you're not replacing my mum. No, no, no. That's like aggression, Uh, Absolutely strong eye contact, and and then when she did move in with my ex and and her new partner, who I got on with really well actually, they had this sort of fireplace with kind of little I don't know sort of gravelly stuff in that just seemed to have like a litter tray, so she was always weeing in the fireplace. But I thought it I thought it was quite fun, really.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that is like a cat litter tray set up like why would you do that if you have a cat in the house it's so true though because I remember so one of my cats died that I had with my ex he got hit by a car and it is like you know I had to break it to my ex so we'd already broken up he'd moved out we were going through divorce proceedings and then I had to Break to him that the cat had died, and also sort of ask for money for the cremation because it's really (sighs) expensive to get a cat cremated
1: um oh, it's like oh hundreds man.
0: of pounds and it's like oh awful so he's like crying on the phone like got him at work and then i was like also can i have 150 pounds because that's half of the cat cremation price oh my god but it is it is you know you don't take into consideration that like visitation rights of your favorite pets or like you know yeah. just the maintaining or if they're ill and they need medication it is quite you know it can be a lot to take and, and also we had two cats and for me i was like i'm one woman now with two cats like i would have just if it was just me i would have got one cat but now i have to take them both cuz they're brother and sister and we can't split them up <laughs> um, yeah can't
1: split them up no
0: so, yeah, it is it is a point of contention about divorce. But let's let's talk about your breakup story. And by the way, I want you to know that you're very welcome in the divorce social even though you're not officially divorced yet you're a very welcome member thank you
1: sort of it's like a I I don't know some kind of special clause isn't it yes
0: (laughs) well I'm trying to open up the group so it's not you don't just have to have that paperwork you just have to have had a difficult breakup and I would have said before all people have had that I actually have contacted a lot of people to try and get guests for the podcast and they've been like I actually haven't had a difficult breakup So there are some people in the
1: world (laughs) who haven't had it. Well, I mean, that's interesting, because I think that depends on your definition of breakup, because I know people who have not had difficult romantic breakup, but then go on to talk about friendship breakups or, you know, breakups, professional breakups. Um, And, you know, that's why when I recently wrote my book, I included those other types of breakups because we sort of have less social scripts around for, for actually navigating and mourning those so it, it is quite interesting when you sort of think about actually what is a breakup I mean we, we tend to assume it is the ending of a romantic relationship but then there are some people in the world who probably don't have romantic relationships in the way that we define them um but but would have been really hurt by maybe a friend disappearing from their lives so you know, maybe our definitions of relationships and therefore breakups (laughs) need to kind of broaden as well. It's it's complicated, isn't it, Sam? Yeah,
0: but that's what I love about your podcast and your book is that you explore both of those things and you kind of broaden it out a little bit. You know, I'm fully just about heartache of romance. Um, but I love (laughs) that you're you're kind of exploring the rest as well, because I've definitely had some difficult work breakups. Yeah. But let's talk about your difficult breakup. So where were you? That was a bit sprightly of me to introduce it in that way, wasn't it? Sorry. (laughs) So energetic.
1: Yeah, imagine if if I was seeing a therapist, it was like, hey, tell me about the time that that person died. (laughs) Tell me about
0: the awful thing that happened to you in the most upbeat voice ever. Where were you in the world and in your life um, at the beginning of this breakup?
1: Actually, there are probably two really significant breakups, but I'll tackle the the main one first that prompted me to investigate breakups over the past however many years. The breakup that really triggered all of that was when I got dumped by email 10 years ago now. So it was back when being dumped by email still might've seemed a bit abrupt. I mean, now we have ghosting and all of this, these other behaviors. I mean, I think it
0: still is
1: definitely abrupt. It's like (laughs) not even a text,
0: like an email.
1: Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, we used to email each other um, and and we would have more space to say stuff and I think you can think about an email and craft it and construct it more than you can a text. so I don't necessarily think an email is worse than a text, but it was just for me it was definitely worse than a face-to-face conversation um after we'd been together for five years and of course at the time I joked that I felt much better after correcting her spelling and punctuation and changing the font um but of course it's it's a real shock but I think. After doing so much thinking about this breakup and this relationship, I think what I've realized is not that the breakup itself was the the traumatic thing, even though it was very traumatic, but it was actually the relationship and how difficult and challenging the relationship had been and how painful it had been because it was an invisible relationship. And I think this is why I've become obsessed with breakups because I kind of think if you do mark, end of a relationship you acknowledge that that it did exist and this relationship could never really exist or never move forwards because her parents didn't know she was gay and didn't you know approve of of gay relationships although she did once try to tell me that they had enjoyed the film broke back mountain which i thought is not (laughs) (laughs) well that would have been perfect timing
0: to come out surely when they're like
1: oh what a lovely film (laughs) Yeah, cheery sense of how gay relationships can turn out. Yay. Um, So, yeah, I think that relationship had been so challenging that it was more of a case of how can you end it now when I've suffered and been through so much pain to try and and, um, stay in it and to try and help you and support you to feel stronger and to move gradually and slowly towards this point of, of telling them of coming out. And I suppose I thought I was going to be a part of her coming out journey and that I become very attached to that narrative and that ultimately we were going to get there. We were sort of fighting for this visibility of the relationship and that almost became my purpose um so I think to suddenly have that ripped away felt completely erasing and disabling because it was like or, or how can you just end it now you know when we're sort of trying to make this progress towards this moment of of recognition and affirmation and it, it suddenly did feel like you know that thing that many people say at the end of a relationship that that you've wasted your time for however many years you've been in the relationship um I mean I do know we we did meet her mum once for a cup of tea but I sort of had to pretend to be a friend you know and all of that and it's it's just so awkward that kind of thing when you know it's all just a pretense and and a lie and the sort of frustrating but I suppose nice thing in the end is that after we broke up she did eventually come out when she was in her next relationship and it feels bittersweet because you kind of think oh you know you weren't able to do it when I was with you and equally I've had you know ex-partners who struggled with drinking or with agoraphobia or all kinds of other things that they were struggling with and then when they kind of sort it out after after their relationship with you has ended you feel really annoyed for a moment and then you think but maybe I did sort of help them to that point um in some way so so maybe maybe it's nice you know in a way that they have moved forwards even if it's sad that they haven't done that when they were with you and I remember chatting to my friend about it once and she said Oh, but you loosened the lid, Rosie.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all those things that, you know, you can encourage what, someone to do it as much as you you can and for their, hopefully for their own good, but it takes them to take that step and no one else can ever do it for them. They just have to have that moment, don't they? I'm really interested in you describing the relationship as an invisible relationship because she wasn't out. So what did that look like? day to day did you like go out for dinner and were you not allowed to kind of hold hands in public or was it just pretending in front of her parents
1: I mean the parents was was the main thing but I think that is quite an important thing because she was very close to her parents she went back to Wales to see them a lot and she was really connected to them so you know, if it's somebody's parents that they don't really see, yes, I can see how that wouldn't necessarily be a big, big, significant problem. But she did go and see them a lot. She definitely always wanted to spend Christmas with them. So it meant we couldn't really speak at Christmas or, you know, maybe she would sneak off to send a text on Christmas Day or Boxing Day or whatever. But you know, there was no way we were ever going to spend Christmas together or you know important times of year holidays, so she wouldn't even like call you at Christmas
0: because she'd be at her parents' house.
1: Yeah, or it was quite complicated. I had to arrange a special time when you know she knew she could answer the phone and no one else was going to answer the phone and it was going to be okay and um, oh wow, yeah, so it was that was all quite tricky, and how did that make you feel like being someone's secret?. Uh, absolutely hideous um I mean it's like having an affair but you're not seeing anyone else (laughs) but yeah I mean I thought to all intents and purposes we were really committed and were effectively married and I felt like I was you know when I met her mum for a cup of tea and she was just talking to me like I was some random friend I thought she was my mother-in-law you know and she was just like oh hello who are you kind of thing you know I thought but I'm Rosie I'm important. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's yeah it's really difficult and I think it really chipped away at my self-esteem and confidence and I think that played out in my comedy career which during the course of that relationship i started to really go well but I was so distracted by you know why hasn't she texted me today what's she doing you know why why isn't she going to come up and see me in Edinburgh this year why why is she not bothered about coming to see me I think ultimately you do what you do and you have to take responsibility for it but I think I allowed myself to become really distracted at a point where I could have really gone for it more in my career and obviously I've been able to sort of have a second wind and go for it more now with the podcast and the book and, and all of this kind of thing but I think I had some opportunities that I sort of. Didn't take advantage of and grasp because I was so, so driven by trying to make this relationship visible and sort of just wanted to be good enough to be her partner and be accepted by her family. That <laughs> you know, my focus was not on how do I, you know, keep writing funny shows and <laughs> and that kind of thing. So I, you know, it feels frustrating because I kind of think, oh you know i really got swamped by that and got submerged under some kind of amorphous liquid and i i made myself less visible somehow i think and i was less you know when i look at little videos of me doing shows or gigs i'd gone from being quite confident on stage to really you know not not quite owning it so yeah it definitely chipped away at me and it was it was really it was really tough and I think now that's why I've sort of been motivated to look at breakups through a very inclusive lens and sort of make sure to include queer relationships and the way that those relationships can still be a different experience, even in our more accepting world. You know, it's still not that long ago I was in this relationship, you know, that that could not, could not progress. We couldn't move in together because... You know, again, would it be the pretense of having a spare room that I slept in because we were just friends and flatmates? And that was just so, so much emotional baggage, I think, to take on. You said
0: that it affected your
1: confidence and
0: you could even see it on stage. How long do you think that feeling stayed with you after the breakup? And how did you get past that? Well, I
1: sort of did the classic thing of getting into a new relationship too quickly um (laughs) but i hesitate to call it a rebound relationship because we stayed together in this next relationship for five years which was about the same time duration as the previous relationship and we really built something a friendship and a connection and companionship and partnership and we you know, don't get me wrong, we had had some attraction and, and the kind of sexual side and, and passion and romance a bit, but it, I'd been very in and out with that because I was so sad and broken, really, and I wasn't ready. And I'd kind of said I wasn't ready, but sometimes you just end up falling into things anyway, because you like somebody, you like their company and they like you and they're sort of keen for it to be a relationship. Even if you're saying, Oh no, I think I might just want to be friends. And they're like, Oh no, you don't really, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think also with gay women, because you feel like there aren't that many options around because, you know, if you're a, if you're a straight woman or a bi woman, there's just so many men, you know, sometimes sometimes, on Tinder, I used to just switch my feed to men just to sort of marvel at how many (laughs) options there would be. It's like, oh my God,
0: there's so many. There aren't that many women on Tinder, actually. I have to say, because I'm five, and I have both, you know, that come up, and there's like no women, it's just (laughs) men.
1: Yeah, whereas, yeah, if if you switch it to just women, there's like about five, and then it's like, there's no one new around (laughs) you. You're like, you've completed (laughs) Tinder. Yeah, exactly. I know, which I don't think straight people generally complete Tinder, but so I think there's a bit of a feeling of pressure if you're two gay women and you're both nice and clever and fun and kind and, you know, all right. You kind of think, God, well, we should just have a relationship, you know, even if you're not quite in the right place in your life at that time to begin something, even if you're not like 100% well, I was going to say 100% compatible, but God, who is? I mean, me and my fiancé now, we're definitely not. There are things we disagree on, but we work them out. Do you think if you,
0: because you say you sort of fell into it and you weren't ready and you said you weren't ready, do you think if you had your old confidence before that invisible relationship, you would have stopped that? Or do you think you still would have fallen into it, the second relationship?
1: Yeah, like you say, my my confidence had been eroded. And I think I sort of felt that the only kind of currency I had at that time was sort of my sexuality. This woman fancied me. And that seemed to be the the only value I could tangibly attach to myself. So I think there was a sense of you know, who, who, who am I and what's my identity now? You know, you almost feel like your identity has been stolen. It's really weird by, by a sort of ambiguous breakup that came out of the blue because somebody has pulled the rug from under your feet. I I remember seeing a therapist who said like, you're like a tree uprooted and you are, you sort of had your roots ripped out, you know, everything, you the foundations of who you've who you've built yourself around because that was very much at that time, my identity was constructed very much around the relationship and around my career. And I wasn't sure where I was with, with either of those at that time when I started the new relationship. But I mean, it was in that new relationship that I um, started to very tentatively explore the idea of non-monogamy which, of course, spurred me into this really creative time of of writing my first book and going and doing comedy at sex parties and sex positive events and (laughs) getting involved in this whole interesting scene where the whole dialogue about relationships was very different. Because if you're polyamorous and you're having more than one relationship, you've got a very different narrative around breakups and whether it's a failure you know, if, if a relationship ends. Because I think if you have more than one relationship, you kind of can see relationships as precious and valuable, even if they only lasted a short time, because you're not necessarily looking for this one person you're going to spend your sort of monogamous married lifetime with. Ready to pop the question?
0: it's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. You can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website, com, And you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S, and it starts at £2 a month and we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. So you started looking into non-monogamous relationships. Why was that number one? And does that mean you were exploring that personally as well?
1: Well, yes. Um, (laughs) I think I started exploring it because I was in this relationship where I really had started to love my partner in a very broad sense, but something was not right for me or slightly off for me sexually. And this was really freaking me out because we live in such a sex-obsessed society. And, you know, there is this narrative, isn't there? If the sex isn't right in your relationship, then the relationship, everything else in in the relationship is just to be jettisoned, discarded, thrown away like a bag of crisps or whatever. It, It just felt like it seemed a waste to throw away all of this good stuff. Um, but you know, if you have a breakup, it's, it changes things. You don't just preserve the friendship, you know, or it's hard to in anything like the same kind of a way. And so I, I wondered, you know, in thinking with a very pragmatic head on, you know, if sex is the only bit that isn't quite connecting, anymore or, or whatever because it certainly had at some points in the beginning of the relationship but it had been a bit in and out for me because I was still messed up about intimacy because of you know my, my trust had been damaged by by the previous relationship because not only had she we had this secret relationship where she hadn't come out to her family she'd then been kind of secretive with me because she had started to have a connection with somebody else slightly overlapped with the ending of our relationship and that had not come out for years and years after the breakup so I kind of knew there was something that I didn't completely know and that that was impacting my kind of sense of being able to open up with somebody and be kind of completely safe and trusting with somebody I think but uh, yeah, I was just thinking: could you not just sort of outsource the sex? You know, <laughs> you know, have if, have sex with other people and just have this lovely partnership where you live together and you know that you get on living together and you like watching the same stuff on telly and hanging out or listening to the same music or talking about politics and or whatever, you know, and you just get on because sometimes the people that you like having sex with are not the people that you like in life yeah you don't want to live with them (laughs) yeah I mean sometimes that just doesn't marry up very well so it kind of it makes me wonder really why we put such a high priority on sex and sexual attraction because sometimes it means that you end up in a relationship with a total ass that you just quite like shagging
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what do you think you learn from your non-monogamous experience? Because I'm sure lots of people in marriages are, you know, think about this. I remember I had a discussion with my ex about maybe this is an answer to how we could live, um, but not many people actually go out and try it. So what did you learn? What are the key bits of information that we need (laughs) if we're considering doing this?
1: Yeah, well, I think... What was really interesting was when I did go and do comedy at a sex party. And so my exploration into non-monogamy was largely it was it was quite hypothetical because it was sort of under the veil of research for my book and my comedy shows. Um, So I went and did comedy at a sex party. Um, partly as just a fun, interesting experience to perhaps write about, but also just to be in that environment uh, where sex was just not something that people were hung up about, <laughs> you know, and I thought that would be quite liberating and empowering for me because of the place I'd got to where I felt, I suppose, ashamed um, because of this toxic, you know, kind of secret relationship that I'd had. Um, and... Yeah, what struck me was when we entered the party, which was this lovely, friendly respectful space we had to sign up and agree to these rules which were about respecting other people respecting people's boundaries you know making sure you had consent for anything um, practicing safe sex um, you know and there was also a PAL system where you were accountable for another person at the party and nobody could enter without a PAL who would vouch for them and who would take them home if they were being a bit drunk or being a dick or harassing anyone and so on so that sense of mutual accountability really meant that the party was just this really safe and lovely space where people were not drinking very much people were just flirty and connecting and um the main space where the cabaret was was not like the the sex space the sex room was sort of this cordoned off other bit that was going to be opened later after the cabaret so i was like the foreplay and (laughs) Which some people would say all comedy is foreplay. Well, yes, <laughs> but quite literally in this case. And it was it was a lovely experience, but I think it was just such an eye-opener to realise that what made that party work and work so well for everyone to get out of it what they needed. And, you know, some people wanted to have a full-on orgy and have sex with lots of people. Some people like me just wanted to, go there and, and chat and you know maybe have a hug or a cuddle or but something quite you know <laughs> quite low on the sort of extreme kind of chart you know and I did end up having a little snog with a man just for a bit of fun bit of variety <laughs> um I kind of I i went home fairly soon after that but I felt really alive and connected and just the the flirtation and the energy of people connecting and just just that sort of freedom was so lovely and and the fact that you know what had made it work was these rules and having some kind of you know charter of accountability charter of respectfulness charter of good ethical behavior which we don't really have in our broader dating world and we don't have in our monogamous traditional relationships we don't even talk about what does monogamy mean what does cheating mean what does fidelity mean there's no communication and so that was really something that I looked at in my comedy show was you know how many people have actually talked about monogamy with their partner what what does cheating even mean and I did this whole survey online where you know they could take different options for what counts as cheating and and put different stuff in the notes. And one person had ticked having sex with someone else and then written in a car. Like that makes a difference. It's really oh, well wow. it? I don't know. Yeah, it was so interesting. And, you know, one woman, when I'd asked, you know, do you talk about this stuff with your partner? She'd written, oh, you know, it's one thing to do the deed, but quite another to talk about it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's amazing. I mean, I, I don't know what her voice sounded like. That's just <laughs> me imagining. <laughs> but it's interesting isn't it how I mean perhaps particularly British people we we are so reluctant to talk about sex and sexual relationships and how they work or even don't work so I, I really wanted to go on this journey where I you know tried to put myself out of my comfort zone of kind of serial monogamy and you know dating people and not you know, I'd had a bit of casual sex, but I hadn't kind of gone to a sex party or anything like that. Or, you know, I also went to a lesbian sauna evening, which was held in this sauna where they normally have a gay male sauna, where I'd heard about, you know, the gay men just all having a big old gangbang, really. And I thought, well, I wonder what happens when the lesbians go there. (laughs) Of course, I wrote this very uh, satirical chapter in my book, where the lesbians all just end up having a cup of tea and folding towels and tidying, <laughs> Lovely. A lovely chat. But I mean, I did have a little snog with a the girl there. But uh, we went to the showers, and the showers were on a timer, <laughs> and the water kept stopping. So yes, uh, it was. It was just you know, and it was all a bit chilly and drafty in the corridor. Yeah, corridors. not the
0: sexiest environment. No,
1: not at all. But. You know, I, I do think there's something interesting, and this is why I've been interested to study queer relationships. There's something interesting about male behavior and female behavior. And obviously, there are different arguments as to whether it has anything to do with our actual hardwiring and our biology or our social conditioning. But women do behave very differently around sex and love and commitment and relationships and and our sort of monogamy and behavior patterns. And this is when I first noticed that lesbians are much more serially monogamous than anybody else. And we have more breakups and now we can get married more divorces than anybody else. (laughs) We are the top of the divorce charts. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Um, And it sort of makes sense because if you look at heterosexual divorce figures, 75% of them in this country are initiated by the woman. So of course, if you've got two women in a relationship, (laughs) someone's going to end it at some point. (laughs) statistics (laughs) say. As statistics say. And, you know, obviously there are exceptions. There are very, very long lasting lesbian relationships, but there are a lot that break up. And I think it's something to do with this unacknowledged restlessness that women have. I mean, we have this social narrative, don't we, that women are sort of, you know, the gatekeepers of of the home and relationships and the family, and we're going to hold things together. But actually, you know, there's a lot of evidence now with kind of scientific studies that have been done that show that women women are more sexually restless and and actually have more of a thirst for novelty even than men
0: well but I'm surprised that statistics say that more women end marriages and I but I wonder if that's related to something the other half has done also because obviously I I speak to a lot of people who you know their breakup has come as a surprise and they initiate the breakup because maybe of infidelity that they don't want to put up with. So it would be very interesting to find out within that. What are the actual causes? Now, I agree. You've done so much work on love and relationships. And now, obviously, you're engaged (laughs) to be married, (laughs) which is something you never thought you would do. How do you sit in a happy relationship knowing all this stuff
1: that you know from your books and everything does it affect what you do I know do I know too much I mean can we demystify it all too much um and yeah particularly being so obsessed with breakups and particularly having talked so much about the good sides of breakups and how empowering (laughs) they can be and how they can be such an opportunity for growth and learning and there's a part of me that's like Gosh, I'd quite like to break up. It sounds great. (laughs) 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 I'd quite like to go on that journey of being single and and reinventing myself and transforming myself. But I also think having a lack of fear about a breakup is a really good thing for uh, staying together as well. And so, in, in the Breakup Monologues book, most of the story is about staying together, having learned from my breakups and what information I've taken forward into this new relationship and how I've realized that I've reset my boundaries and, and wouldn't, you know, accept some of the things that I was just putting up with in, you know, a relationship before where I was very hurt by somebody not being able to tell their family that I existed. So there's a chapter in this book where my girlfriend, and my girlfriend, she's called in the book, we are at her brother's wedding and I feel completely welcomed into the family by her wonderful family, uh, her, her brothers and uh, her nephews and nieces. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just this very, very different experience. And talking about her mum, my girlfriend's mum, Glenda, coming to stay and asking Siri questions about LGBT history and <laughs> sipping tea out of a pride mug. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, so it's this incredibly different experience. And so I think you do, you do look for that. You do look for something that's going to be different because um, you've learned, you know, that <laughs> having a secret relationship was not for me. It was, that was too painful for me. That, that felt very difficult. So yeah, having somebody whose family accept me is, is lovely, um, especially as I don't have a big family. Uh, My mum's not around anymore. Um, So there's, there's my dad, who's lovely and amazing, but I don't have any siblings. And although I have lots of cousins, I don't, they're all scattered around the world. I don't sort of see anyone with any regularity. So to feel like I've got this other family is really, really nice. And that's how it should feel, we all hope um there was something I wanted to ask you
0: actually as um podcast host to podcast host of podcasts that are about breaking up I'm worried that if I ever fall in love again will I still be able to do this podcast or will I feel like a fraud or um but you you seem to be doing it very well was was there a worry for you when you were in the throes of love initially um It's still doing the podcast.
1: Yeah, I know. It's that question, isn't it? Is it still on brand if you're not personally (laughs) getting over a breakup? And there are occasional articles that I've been asked to do. And they asked me to do an article around the book. When I said I was in a relationship, and it had been a nice fee as well. It was a bit gutting. They were like, oh, no, we don't want you to do an article anymore. We want someone who's who's just had a breakup. We want um, someone
0: who's crying as they type the words. Yeah. You should have sent them to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I should have done so. Um, yeah, it was a bit kind of taken aback by that. But, yeah, apart from that, I think I've managed to spin it in this way that I think... When you've got enough time has passed and you're now able to make a relationship work <laughs> and you're able to not fear a breakup because you know you would survive it, um, I think surely that makes you even more wise about breakups than than when you were in the immediate throes of it, in the immediate aftermath of, of the chaos. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. And I think, obviously, I'm not in a relationship now. Well, not obviously. I'm not in a relationship now. But um, even just with time since my breakup, I feel like already I've learned so much more about the breakup. Now I can like look back and things are kind of changing in my life in different ways. So, yeah, I think... And also it's just a bit of hope. I like, I like the fact that you've had terrible breakups and now you're in love again and about to get married. It's like, Oh my God, I might get that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's presenting a good story, isn't it? And saying, look, I had these terrible breakups, but now, you know, I, I am with somebody I'm more compatible with and, you know, whose family totally loved me and embraced me, which is this big thing that, that wasn't there in, in past relationships and, you know, I've managed to kind of put put things together and and come out the other side of it all. So I think, yeah, I think it's a positive, a positive story. I hope so. But yeah, I think I, I know what you mean. It's sort of weird, isn't it? This kind of still being obsessed with breakups, even when <laughs> I'm now you know five years into a relationship. But it's um, yeah, I think I think the, the breakups and staying together are so closely linked. I say you know, I I say they're like a flick of a switch apart, you know, one moment of madness or clarity. (laughs) Definitely.
0: Well, I think that's the perfect place to finish. Thank you so much. Can you, this has been a great chat. Can you remind us about all of your books, what they're called
1: and where we can get them? Yes. So I've got two books. Um, Is Monogamy Dead was the first one. And the Breakup Monologues is the second one. And they're available on all your usual places like Amazon and Waterstones and bookshop.org if you want to support indie bookshops, um, or you should be able to go into your local bookshop and order it. Although, Sam, I've noticed something recently where if you go into like foils or some way, it's so hard to find my book because my surname begins with W. So it'll be, <laughs> it'll be in that you'd be all right. You're a B. But if you go into the like self-help section or relationship section, which is where it usually is, they're then alphabetical and mine's right on the bottom. So the only people that would naturally happen upon it would be sort of lying down on the floor. You know, <laughs> like when we had the football recently, there was a man that would sort of lie down, you know, so he would protect it if everyone jumped up and, and the ball kind of went under the wall when they all jump up. You know, it's like that. You'd have to be somehow horizontal on the floor to actually see any books by <laughs> authors with the surname beginning with W. So do look down if you are in foils on the third floor in the self-help self help section looking for my book. Um, or Rose just order Robbie. online. Or just order online. It's so much easier. You have to be very tall to find my books because <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. big. It's like right yeah, up, the top. up to the top. But yes, it's available in all the all the places. And yes, the podcast is also called The Breakup Monologues. And interestingly, there's a lot of kind of cross-pollinization with uh guests that we've both had on and maybe had just slightly different conversations with so we should start a spreadsheet between ourselves a bit
0: like, <laughs> yeah. have you had this person they're good
1: oh, oh this person's good yeah <laughs> i know yeah yeah it's really interesting sort of when sometimes you had people on after they've been on wine i'm like oh i wonder what sam i said you know and or sometimes they've been on before but yeah yeah so it yeah it'd be interesting to uh well, it's see. very
0: nice to share a space with you um, yeah. and, and guests with you and have you on my podcast.
1: Oh, definitely. Well, I loved it when, of course, you were on the Breakup Monologues with Helen Ledger at Prima Donna Festival. So people can find that one. if they. It was a really fun one, actually. <laughs> it <laughs> was, was crazy. Mad. I loved it. <laughs> well, I mean, we definitely kept things more on the fun light side there, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, which
0: sometimes you need, you know. Helen's yeah. hilarious; she's great. Yeah, that was I a lot. I think sex
1: fun. in toilets was the main theme, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: it's quite <laughs> often when I do podcasts, I seem to end up talking about sex in toilets. But you know, that's that's so, my thing. Um, so yeah, tune into that one, everyone. <laughs> do have a listen, and where can people find you on social media? Um, at Rosie.
1: Planning for your next trip. will be on twitter and at breakup monologues on instagram wonderful well thank you so much thank you
0: oh hi thank you for listening to the divorce social with me samantha baines please leave us a review please please um it would be super nice they're lovely to read they keep me cheery and happy and keep me going uh but also it affects our listing in the Podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one, or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com. And we have a Patreon account, which means the use.